Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott-Free August is in full swing and going rather well, I would say, for myself. So today I'm joined by someone I have huge admiration for, producer, writer, director, and comedy legend, Judd Apatow. Welcome, Judd. How you doing? You know, I'm intimidated. It's big shoes to fill. I know he brings the energy, uh, and I'm hoping that I can do it. I've, I've been prepping all day. Oh, fantastic. Uh, let me ask you a question. You're in North Carolina, right? Correct? That's right. North Carolina, where it can be 90 degrees and raining all day. Right. Okay. So what are you doing there? What are you working on? Uh, we're making a movie uh, with some young men from... Saturday Night Live, who who have been making these incredible digital shorts. They're called Please Don't Destroy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're here this summer. Someone thought it would be good to shoot a movie in the mountains <laughs> in August in North Carolina. I, yeah. I'm not sure who. I need to locate that person because it is hot. The glamorous life of a Hollywood person. Let me ask you, though, I mean, because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that's been going on in the country right now. Um, I'm going to talk about Bros, which is your latest movie. But do you think about where to do movies right now? Where is Hollywood's mind on this thing? Because they've gone through different iterations of this over the decades. I, I think it changes because the laws change and you always want to encourage people who are trying to mm-hmm. pass sane laws, uh, you know, that you want them to succeed. So the idea of when you say to, you know, a state, you know, if you continue to have these laws, we may not bring our our work here is a is a sensitive issue because there's a lot of crews here and people and they make their living in the industry and you're you're bailing yes. on them yeah. also when you decide not to come to a state. So I think it's it's a very painful discussion that would be solved by people just caring about the rights of other people. And also it's an enormous amount of the country uh you know that has uh you know laws set up to prevent women from having rights over their own bodies. So I think this debate is just beginning about what to do. You know, but for me personally I tend to drift towards places which I feel are generally more hospitable to values I agree with. Right. And do you, when you think about that, is there a st- is there something a state could do that crosses a line, like what Indiana just did, this very strict abortion law, versus a Kansas, which was showing some signs of electoral interest in terms of people who are pro-abortion rights? I mean, it's all pretty awful, isn't it? it you know, mm-hmm. the basic right, uh, you know, should not be the state's. I mean, that's just the worst case scenario. Then you get into what's really uh, the most mm-hmm. terrible, which mm-hmm. is what if you have an ectopic pregnancy? Mm-hmm. What if doctors are scared to do basic health care because they think they're going to get in trouble? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, the thing that scares me the most is like bounties. Like, oh, you can you can mm-hmm. make money if you turn somebody in because they cross state lines or got an abortion pill. It really sets people up to be even more polarized. Uh, And I think all of those ideas were just beginning to come to grips with how how truly terrible this can become. And we'll see in the midterms, Mm -hmm. because I would hope that a lot of people are going to vote, maybe who wouldn't have voted, or maybe their vote might change because they realize where we're headed, which is against gay marriage, against contraception, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gay adoption. There, There are so many other issues that could head in this direction unless people stand up and vote. So my thing is always, it's all about voting. Just figure out how to do it. Even if they're trying to prevent you, 
figure out how to get registered and get it done. This gets us to your movie, Bros, that you produced starring Billy Eichner. He's also a writer. And one of the things that was interesting is it sort of painted a picture of gay life. You know, right now, I've never felt more under siege than back in the 80s. I feel like that right now. And I have four children married. Uh, Nerve-wracking, actually, in terms of adoption and all kinds. The idea of what the Supreme Court was saying. So talk a little bit about this movie, because it's a really happy version of gay people, you know, that feels a little bit under siege right now, um, trying to present this sort of rom-com of, of how you find happiness, um, how you find happiness between people. Well, when we, you know, when we started the project and we started it, you know, four years ago, maybe even a little mm-hmm. longer in times which were, I think, a little better regarding all of these issues, uh, you know, we thought, you know, there should be a, a, a gay rom-com, a big studio with a real budget movie like this. And, and uh, it, it shouldn't be an area that this type of uh, film doesn't exist in. There's something really terrible, uh, you know, about that. And um, so we all worked together with Nick Stoller, the co-writer and the director, to try to, you know, create this to be something big and fun and about love and about dating and uh, mm-hmm. about uh, a relationship that you don't get to see on TV too much. I mean, it, 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 in uh, movies and indeed, TV, by the way. Indeed. Um, things have changed in a really dark way in the last year. So it, it does change it. But the movie does have a, a, you know, a lot of content in it, which is mm-hmm. very personal to Billy about the way he feels about being excluded and what his life has been like and how it's different, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, to be gay in this country. And uh, all the ways that uh, the systems work against you. So we were surprised at a lot of the issues that are coming up in places like Florida with uh, Don't Say Gay were actually in the movie and in some of the moments which are more serious in the film. And, I've, and, and some of those scenes, you know, are, are very moving. And we, you also wish they weren't necessary. So there were a lot of sort of darker scenes in it. How do you think about balancing that? Talk a little bit about that and and translating that to the screen. Well, there's certainly plenty to be mad about. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's important that, you know, we have an honest character. Uh, You know, whenever we make these movies, we, we try to start from a place of real honesty. What's preventing somebody from getting in a relationship? What are the obstacles Mm -hmm generally in their lives. And so if you're going to mm-hmm. be three-dimensional and tell the truth, some of that would be what you're frustrated about. And it was important that that was in the movie. Most of those scenes are really, really funny, but it felt appropriate to have a couple where they were more serious. Right. One of the last questions I have about this is that there's a, a huge call out to Brokeback Mountain, which, of course, was the gay movie that happened, but it was two straight actors. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone was like, it was a breakthrough moment. I thought it was depressing. The same thing, like a lot of the movie, they're depressing and then there's straight actors playing it. Yes. When you thought about creating this, then there's lots of callbacks to it, including near the end. Um, what do you think? The Why do you think Hollywood has been so slow to embrace all kinds of different things when there's a lot of uh, appetite for it, or maybe there just isn't enough appetite from their perspective. I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, Hollywood, ultimately it's, you know, a few mega corporations who are looking mm-hmm. to make money and they'll just mm-hmm. go in the direction of where the money is and where mm-hmm. the path of least resistance mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But when they have theories about things, 
a lot of times it's hard to to change them. So if they wonder, will this type of movie about this community make money, they might be slower to make that movie. And I think it isn't uh, just about LGBTQ uh, plus community. It's it's about, uh, you know, all the different communities. And then when something makes money, they chase it. Right. And I think that, you know, the heartbreaking part about it is, is there are always decades behind the curve. And right, so when, right. we sh- we, when we showed this movie, the crowd wasn't like, oh, I can't handle this. They were basically loving it. And what it felt like in the room was, we were ready for this so long ago. Yes. It's ridiculous 100%. it's taken this long to do right, this. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. so- the movie's a real crowd pleaser. It's really fun. It's really romantic and and sweet. But there's something about it that makes you go, it's weird that it's 2022 and it's taken this long to do this. Although I must say the volleyball scene in Top Gun 2 and Top Gun 1 is still gayer than this movie, um, despite the, the ama- amazing amount of gays here. Those are high bars. Those are high bars. <laughs> Anyway, so the movie comes out, Bros comes out on September 30th. And again, it's an all LGBTQ cast, which is unusual, I think, uh, in general. Um, But today uh, we'll talk about a lot of things. You couldn't have a better week for having Judd here. Uh, Trump's wild week of legal problems, also of interesting narrative. And I can't it couldn't become a movie. It's 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 so it's too much. It's too much stuff. It's too much. It's too much. Too too many scandals. Too much crazy. Like, how would you even when people have tried, you go, how do you? Every day could be a movie. Yeah. So first of all, Disney has more streaming subscribers than Netflix. I guess Ron DeSantis's woke business ideas didn't seem to work out. Disney Plus added 15 million subscribers last quarter, giving the House of Mouse a slight edge in streaming. When you added all its networks, Disney losses are growing, too. It lost more than a billion dollars on streaming last quarter. It is committed to streaming, though. Um, It's also announced it's raising prices on some of the streaming options. I'm sure more advertising is next. So talk a little bit about this from your perspective, how you look at all these streamers. Obviously, it's been a cornucopia of content for content creators like yourself, but at the same time, there's lots of them. How do I look at it? Well, I mean, I look at it as a, someone who watches it. And, you know, I, I hope that people will take chances and make good content and not just become network television. That's really the fear is that when you have too much metadata that you think you know what people like, And then when you think you know what people like, are you not taking as big a swing into your own gut and your own imagination and your own creativity and making choices about what to make? Because the data might say, well, we just love crime documentaries. And I love crime documentaries, but I don't want to only watch crime documentaries or crime movies. Uh, And there are certain areas that that if you watch all the streamers, you go, oh, it, it tends to go in that direction. Uh, Because the great things that happen usually would not be in the data. The great movie that you didn't see coming about the weird subject approached in a way that no one's ever done it before cannot be predicted. And so as a viewer, I just hope that what it felt like at the beginning of streaming, which was, hey, we're going to create a place that's so creative that we're going to have stuff that you can't get anywhere else, doesn't turn into lowest common denominator everywhere. Right. How do you consider as a creator or creators in general, it's like, oh, more money for us. Or do you do you see it as problematic given so many of them? Or is it is it worrisome as a creator? 
Well, I think the only worry is that if everyone feels on the edge of success, that mm-hmm. creative risks won't be taken as as often. You can just do you know dating shows forever because you're you think that's what's going to get you more subscribers as as opposed to you know making a movie that on paper may not work. And and we all know that all, that's what most of our favorite movies were in the past. Right, they right. broke the mold in some way. So for me, I want them all to be healthy and do great so that they can be bold. That That's what I think is most important for the programming. Because uh, if the programming isn't good, people aren't going to watch anyway. And we all have the same experience. We go home and we scroll for like 10 minutes. And we like mm-hmm. our streamers based on if that scrolling time isn't forever. If we find something fast, we're like, that streamer is working. Look how quickly right. I got to whatever, Bird Box. Or, you know, but if it's taken me a long time, I'm like, why do I have this thing? Right, and right, so, right. It is, yeah. And then as, as someone who makes uh, movies and television for them, it's, you know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing, basically. Uh, are they in the mood to try something? You know, mm-hmm. will they allow us to do something innovative. So, you know, during COVID, we made the movie The Bubble about trying mm-hmm. to make a movie during COVID. And Netflix was very supportive of, you know, going for something really wild and silly that talked about the time. And it was a great experience. And that only probably could have happened with a, a streamer uh, and with people like Ted Sarandos and Scott Stuber, who who allowed it. And that's what you you want. Do you imagine most of your movies are going to be streamed in the future or most of the future Judd Apatow movies are going to be streamed in the future versus in theaters? Do you think about that at all or do you not? I think about it all the time. (laughs) I mean, I I think that you want it all to be healthy. I think it's a little bit like shooting movies on film or on digital. Yeah. It's really important that we keep shooting on film also. We don't want to lose that option. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we want movies to work in the theaters. We want comedies to work in the theaters. When we show bros to a full house, it, people love it and they they enjoy the communal experience mm-hmm. of it. And you don't yeah. want that just to be for Marvel movies. All sorts of right. great movies and dramas need to be seen in the theater. But at the same time, streamers are making a, a, a ton of movies that might not get made for the theaters and we like watching mm-hmm. things at home. I'm mainly watching things at home. So I think that yeah. that's awesome. Also, you just don't want one side to win. Yeah. Although it was Ted Sarandos who said he didn't think most movies would get to the theaters. And he thought it would be blockbusters and not the smaller movies, the comedies and the dramas. He was he, last year when I interviewed him. Um, it's a really interesting time to think about where you're in fear. But I agree. Some of the I would have liked to have watched Bros, not by myself. I was thinking exactly. I'd love to be in well, the Well, the world will in- get to and I think that's yeah. also really exciting because I feel like Bros is, you know, really one of the best movies I've ever been a part of. And it works well in the theater and it's new. And uh, I, I'm i assuming it's going to do well. How I always look at it when it comes to the health of the theaters is mm-hmm. what was the great comedy that bombed in the theater? Only when you have an amazing movie oh, really yeah. bomb do you go, something's mm-hmm. going wrong. And I think that bros is great and I really expect it to do well in the theater and show people that if you make a great comedy, people will leave the house. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's true. All right. Next thing. Elon Musk has dumped Tesla for Twitter once again. On Tuesday, he sold nearly $7 billion worth of Tesla shares. He implied the sale was a safety measure in case things didn't go his way in the Twitter case, which most people think it is not. He also said he's done selling shares, which he said last April, and he dumped another batch. And he also uh, has more Elon-esque plans in the works. When asked if he'd create his own social platform, he would simply write X.com. I happen to know that's a site he owns from his original company, X.com, when he started, when he which he sold to PayPal many years ago. So he still owns the URL from way back when, when he didn't have much money. Um, I, I'm just curious how you look at him from from a narrative perspective, this, this Elon drama. Is it boring to you or a comedy or a tragedy or how do you look at it? I've only met the man once. I think twice. Many years ago, I don't know, maybe it was 10, 12 years ago, but before Tesla, I was at a party. I think it was an Oscar party. And mm -hmm. I was drinking. Seemed like he was drinking. And I was introduced to him. Didn't know who he was. Maybe had mm -hmm. heard his name as the PayPal guy or something. Mm -hmm. And I asked him what he did. And he said, I'm trying to create a spaceship that can go to Mars and back. And I responded in my drunkenness, you'll never figure that out before you die. Oh, wow. You just don't have enough time. I tried to discourage him from innovation is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and so far, he's doing pretty good. He's he's uh, yeah. he's yeah. gotten some steps. He may have to also master life extension, which I'm sure he's also working on. Possibly, possibly. So I. I, you know, in terms of him, I, you know, what do I make of all that? I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not big in the stock market, but I, I, I do remember watching him smoke pot on Joe Rogan and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to invest yeah. in this Tesla thing. And yeah, probably yeah, yeah. I lost an enormous amount of money. Uh, not that I would have invested much money uh, because I just thought, well, that's kind of different. And uh, it didn't make me feel great about, uh, handing that person yeah. my money, but maybe you need people who want to open their mind and be creative and think things that no one's ever thought before. But I do listen to you and Scott debate this all the time. And the thing that is terrifying is if you have someone that is brilliant and can think of things that have never been thought of before, you don't want them also to love chatting on Twitter. Right, right. Exactly. You just want that person to be alone in a room <laughs> cracking the code no. on Mars. <laughs> no. Just get back to Mars. Get back to making the cars work better. I don't want him thinking it, it's time for me to be a riot on Twitter. That's my job. And you know what? I shouldn't be on Twitter either. Do you think he's funny? I'm more troubled by the fact that he thinks it's necessary to be funny. Oh, oh. I'm embarrassed that I want to be funny. Okay, but that's your job. I don't, I don't need him to feel that he needs the ego stroke of the attention. But I think that's right. everybody in the world. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be an yeah. entertainer. Do we want Thomas yeah. Edison to also think I must be a crack up and have a lot of TikTok <laughs> followers? I don't want those people to Although, feel they need I'm to do that. I'm going to point out he really was kind of a P.T. Barnum of his day. He was, you know, he called reporters together. He was difficult. He tried to kill Tesla, really. I'm wrong. You've proven me wrong right away. You've proven me <laughs> so wrong right all, away. Thomas Edison was an asshole, let me just say. And and sometimes Elon Musk is. I've heard this before. Uh, Henry yeah. Ford. There's a lot of. Uh, asshole. Asshole. Walt, Walt, asshole. Walt Disney had his, his moments uh, <laughs> yeah. with the unions yeah. and the I, Jewish people. I, I, Yes. Aren't you glad you picked a career where you don't have to work with attention-hungry megalomaniacs all the time? I mean, you yeah. know. Woo! Just, just, missed, just missed out <laughs> let that, on that. Just good, the sweet people of Hollywood. All right, let's get to our first big story. 
Speaking of attention-seeking megalomaniacs, Donald Trump is keeping his mouth shut for once. The former president pleaded the fifth this week in a deposition with New York State Attorney General's office. The AG is conducting a civil investigation into Trump's business practices, but his legal problems don't end there. The FBI executed a search warrant on his Mar-a-Lago home this week. In an unrelated case, Trump had plenty to say about that, including they even broke into my safe. Also this week, a federal appeals court ruled that the House Ways and Means Committee can access Trump's tax returns. I mean, you you reference this idea that this could not be made up by people who write these things. What, what, where are we in this story from your perspective? I, I think that, you know, <laughs> we're all thinking it's pretty incredible that you could do so many things which would get the rest of us in trouble and always mm-hmm. slip by, starting with Trump mm-hmm. University, uh, mm-hmm. that that every time it seems like, well, that's kind of simple. Like, I feel like if I owned a house and it was worth a hundred grand and I wanted Mm -hmm. to get a loan on my house and I said it was worth 10 million, I think I would Mm -hmm. get in trouble. Right. And that's really what that case is about. If you've seen the numbers, Mm -hmm. it's not that complicated. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there's a certain fraud there that seems Mm -hmm. simple. If I was running for office and I lost and I called up, people in the state and said, get me 11,000 votes. Just find me 11,000 votes. I think I would get in trouble for doing that. Or if there was a riot and there were thousands of people at the Capitol and I could tell people to stop them and protect them or get them out of there. And I just sat there for several hours and didn't Mm -hmm. do anything while people begged me to do something. I feel like I would get in trouble. So I think... Mm -hmm. Sometimes you think, well, at some point it's going to happen, but then it never seems to happen. And I feel like he seems to have an innate understanding of all the ways our system doesn't work, where all the holes Mm -hmm. are. Right. I can't imagine he keeps very important things in his little hotel safe. I mean, if he's not Mm -hmm. smart (laughs) enough to find another place to put the good stuff at this point, I mean, really, what would what would you keep in the safe at the place where you live? He has other places to hide things. So, you know, what did they find? 1970s porn, something like that. But um, but besides that, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is as a character, this has been good for him. In a lot of many people feel um, there was speculation online what it means for 2024, whether it was the timing was good for Biden, who, by the way, was busy passing the burn pit bill and everything mm-hmm. else, like was doing a great job uh, dealing with Al Qaeda, et cetera, et cetera, uh, even while he had COVID. Um, but he, the attention immediately came on to Trump. How, when you think about character development, what it, how do you look at him as a character in, in, in the American drama, I guess, or comedy? tragedy. I'm not sure which Well, in a way, he's the joker. He's chaos. And that's always fascinating Mm -hmm. to people. People don't understand him. I think the main reason why the the fascination is endless is no one really understands him. You don't get a a very coherent conversation with him to get what he's all about. And he doesn't put himself in a position to be interviewed like that. For instance, you know, when COVID started and he said, oh, it's just no, it's just seven. It's going down to nothing in a couple of weeks. We know that they told him, oh, man, this is bad. This is a worldwide nightmare. Mm-hmm. Well, why would you do that? You would do that because you want you don't want to look like anything bad happens on your watch, even if you know it's about to take over the country. So we don't understand a person like that who thinks in that way, who's so self-serving 
it's a form of madness. And it is, uh, you know, if, if it was a TV show or a movie, that is the type of show you want to watch with with uh, an ingenious, bizarre character. Unfortunately, it affects people's lives. It costs people their lives. And I think there are obviously there are people who like having a chaotic figure there to attack what they see as the other side. I look at it in a very simple way. These people are in public service. They want they should just be obsessed with making people's lives better, alleviating pain, supporting people, lifting people up. And it seems like so much of it is just uh, a fight. He seems to just want to be in a fight every single day. Grievance, constant grievance. It's beyond that. I think he wants a fight every day. I think right. one of the things with President Obama uh, that we all noticed was he loved when it was calm. He loved when there wasn't any mm-hmm. news. He liked when things were just working out and we could go about our lives. With Trump, he wants something to happen every day. Even if it's him right. saying, uh, I take the fifth 400 times, it's a great day for him. Right. He's in the news. And, oh, my safe got broken into. He's in mm-hmm. the news. He's fighting someone. Uh, and that's a weird thing to really want to be in combat every single day. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, agree, the agreements is wrong. But the other thing is people that involve themselves, too. Like Andrew Yang had an unfortunate tweet, I thought it was, um, saying, I'm no Trump fan. I want him far away from the White House as possible. But fundamental part of his appeal has been that it's him against the corrupt government establishment. This raid strengthens that case for millions of Americans who will see this as an unjust persecution. Andrew Cuomo, who should probably keep quiet for a while and sit in the back some more, um, said the DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid. It must be more than a search for inconsequential archives. It will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation legitimacy of January 6th investigations. Uh, really, him te- lecturing the DOJ is interesting, and especially because they're not really allowed to talk about it in reality. Um, why do the, the people around it, how do you look at that with all the characters, and including the Republican Party, um, which sort of rallied him around, around him for this particular event? I, I, I mean, isn't it simple if somebody asks you for something for a year or so, and you don't give it to them, at some point they say, okay, we're going to come over and get it. And why mm-hmm. should he be an exception to that? Mm-hmm. The only reason, the reason why he's an exception is because he has the ability to make a lot of noise and rile people up that we all think might get dangerous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why should you be allowed to not uh, honor a subpoena? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing we've all found fascinating, that it took a year or more mm-hmm. To just get people to answer questions or get people to show up and just say, I refuse to answer questions. Right, right. I don't think any of us think that's how it would work for us. Right, right. If if I did something that was questionable, I could just keep refusing to talk to anybody uh, about it if I was uh, in the government. And that's the thing that I think is shocking to most people because you would assume if there's a question about something, you're allowed to ask someone about it. And that doesn't seem to be the case, even for people where it's not a criminal situation, where just everyone Mm -hmm. around Trump found a way to not answer questions for a really long time until they thought it looked better for them to answer questions. Right, which was January 6th investigations. Um, So what's interesting is, though, others are terrified. Alex Jones certainly got his hat handed to him in the Texas trial. There's more to come. Also, his his lawyer mistakenly, I'm not sure if it's mistaken, turned over two years worth of his text to prosecutors in his defamation trial. 
Tucker Carlson is reportedly terrified that his text with Alex Jones could come out. The texts include also a nude photo of Jones's wife sent to Roger Stone. Stone denies ever receiving it and says that Alex Stone should sue his own lawyer over the error. Um, they've been handed over to the January 6th committee. What's really interesting is the intersection of all these stories together, you know, into one weird amalgam. I feel like I'm in a Marvel, like the Avengers over several <laughs> episodes, you know, several movies yeah. or something. And it keeps referencing back and then other people pull in. Um, when you look at someone like Alex Jones, he has he is starting to pay for his sins, essentially, but not not Trump. It reminds me, you know, I made a documentary about George Carlin that's on HBO. And he did. It's uh, wonderful. He used to, it's wonderful. He, he used to say, uh, you know, uh, when you're born, you get a ticket to the freak show. And when you're born in America, you get a front row seat. And it's just oh. so much crazy. And it's mm-hmm. it's really dark. It, it, it's uh, bottom feeders. And Alex Jones would talk about it being a hoax. I mean. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more evil that you could do on earth than that? And then sell mm-hmm. millions of dollars of Alex Jones merchandise off right. of all of the hubbub around that. And it's there's a lot of really bad people who will do anything for money in a way that I don't think we we realize. And I and that's what's happened with journalism and social media is there's probably always been people that awful around now we just have instant access to them. I find it really sad. It's hard to have the energy to fight against it, but I think that you know it's our country, and we all have to not let it let it get us so down that we don't do the things that we can do to lift people up. Because there is a monetary uh, incentive to being a nightmare in America right now. It works. It works. It's interesting. You referenced your really tremendous documentary, which people should go watch on HBO on George Carlin. How would he make this moment? What would he see? I mean, it just becomes because he predicted a lot of this stuff. He talked about it a lot about the power of government, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he had a lot of observations. And, he, you know, he used to say, you know, I'm here to entertain people, but I'm also here to let you know that I've been thinking. And I don't think he had a lot mm-hmm. of answers, but he certainly knew where the problems were. And he talked a lot mm-hmm. about big money and big business controlling the media mm-hmm. and the government, and that those people didn't have other people's interests at heart. They just want to make money. And, and we, mm-hmm. we see that when, you know, the January 6th committee hearings aren't broadcast wall to wall on Fox. It's because it goes mm-hmm. against their business interests to have the truth mm-hmm. out there. Or mm-hmm. if you don't think it's the truth, at least the truth of what they're saying on that day. Like, here's what they're debating or trying mm-hmm. to reveal. And he, you know, he was very suspicious of authority. But at the same time, he loved people and he was concerned that people weren't educated and the powers that be wanted people not educated. He thought that they wanted people just educated enough to work the machines, but not educated enough to ask hard questions. Right, and right, right. that is a big problem. And he thought we get the politicians we deserve because we vote for them. And right. so it is, a, you know, a, a, a cycle of bad education, being trained to accept what's in front of you. And then certain people seem to be making a lot of money. Yeah, I sure would like to hear him. I sure would like to hear him today. I'll tell you that. His um, daughter says you you would probably couldn't predict what his opinion would be. That whatever you oh, think right. it would be, it would probably surprise. Oh you. no, he'd be Joe. He's Joe Rogan. <laughs> he's been reincarnated as Joe Rogan, who's not very funny, actually. He was always about 
the little guy. You know, uh, yeah. he, he, he wanted us to care about people who are being mistreated. That was, I think, right. the most important right. thing to him. Yeah. Well, I would be interesting. You're right. You never know where you'd be today. Anyway, this George Carlin documentary, by the way, has been nominated for five Emmys. It's well worth watching. Uh, All right, Judd, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about privacy in a post-real world. And I'll take a listener mail question about working with your spouse. Okay, Judd, we're back with our second big story. Police in Nebraska use private Facebook messages to charge a mother and her teenage daughter over an alleged illegal abortion. Facebook handed over messages between the mother and the daughter in response to a warrant. The woman now faced criminal charges related to a 17-year-old daughter's abortion in April, and the team will be tried as an adult. Facebook says the warrant didn't mention abortion and came before the Supreme Court's decision. Even if Facebook is telling the truth, this is a bad look for the company. I kept thinking burn in hell for for several days uh, after I read this. Uh, Meta announced some privacy upgrades to its WhatsApp this week, including an option that users exit a group chat without notifying everyone. And unlike Facebook messages, WhatsApp is end-to-end encrypted by default. So what do you think of this? Facebook likes to say their hands are tied when the police come knocking, but there are technical solutions. They also could just refuse, as Apple did, uh, facing down the government over encryption issues. So how do you look at something like this? It does seem to be the inevitable end to all of it. We, you know, we invite all these gadgets in and, you know, you have like a friend who's like, you got to cover up your camera because they can look at you mm-hmm. or you have to shut off your microphones. <laughs> and I'm they usually can. the person that's like, really? Like, what are they going to see yes. me doing? But the truth yeah. is, if if, I, if I'm talking in front of my phone, yes. It, is it somewhere? I mean, if I'm wa- wandering around my kitchen and my friend mm-hmm. Alexa is over, my yeah. My Alexa suddenly asks me what I want. So it's listening mm-hmm. all day long. Yeah. And then they say, mm-hmm. well, it only records the moment when you say Alexa. Right. But it has to right. listen all day. So we don't really know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then how does that get intertwined with the government mm-hmm. and what certain states might see as a criminal act? And then it's just a disaster. It's just something that got big too fast that we mm-hmm. can't manage anymore. Right. And, you know, how I deal with it is I try to stay out of trouble. I just try not to to do anything. I try to not do anything wrong. Trouble finds you in case you're interested. (laughs) They'll find whatever they want. Uh, Some of these messengers, uh, you know, a lot of this encryption stuff does solve the problem. It it keeps the police out of people's. And of course, then it could protect criminals. There's there's the push pull of that. Um, But in in case of abortion, they're going to use these uh, use these texts and these information of people talking to each other to to convict people, because this is where people speak now today, today, rather than just on a phone, for example, that may or may not be listened to. Yeah. And what's really sad about it is I've heard people say, well, we're all just going to have to pick a state that we think is more in line with our values. Mm-hmm. And the most people can't afford to do that. You're just right. trapped in right. a place that suddenly changed. You know, my dad's in Florida. Yeah. You know, Florida yeah. is is changing in a way that I I, I don't mm-hmm. think is great. I don't think my mm-hmm. my dad is going to have to deal with most of these issues. But right. it, it but people are just there and you you can't say, "Okay, well I'm going to I'm going to, you know, move somewhere else to not have to deal with this or to not have my children have to deal with this. Um, right. And what's 
unfortunate is it, it feels like a 10, 20 year war. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not something that's yeah. going to get resolved in a, in a few weeks. No, not at all. They're very committed. They're committed to a lot of things. That's what I always say. They're, they're super. There's a, an expression the, about breakfast. The, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. You know, bacon and eggs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, what people don't talk about uh, enough is there are a lot of people, and it's just beginning to bubble up, who really want this country to be a theocracy. And yes. if you see people yeah. uh, you know, online like Mike Pompeo. Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, they're big meetings where they want religion involved in every decision in this country. And that's why they're willing to put up with someone like Donald Trump, because he is moving the ball forward uh, and getting things accomplished that they want to get accomplished. But most of those things are based on religion. You know, abortion had a minor plot in your film Knocked Up. Tell me you don't want him to get an A word. Yes, I do. And I won't say it for little baby ears over there. But it rhymes with shmushmorshin. I'm just saying, hold on, Jay, cover your ears. You should get a shmushmorshman at the shmushmorshman clinic. Shmushmorshin, yes. Did you invent that term? I think that's a little lost to time. You know, the idea was <laughs> that two of Seth Rogen's friends would have the worst abortion debate of all time. Just two mm-hmm. idiots yes. debating, yes. debating it. And I think we accomplished yeah. that. Uh, you know, yeah. for sure. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, she didn't get an abortion in the mm-hmm. movie. But a lot of the, mm-hmm. the movie was based on personal events. It was a mm-hmm. mix of mm-hmm. fictional and personal. But mm-hmm. if Katherine Heigl did have an abortion, the movie would have been seven minutes long. So obviously mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. should have the opportunity to make that decision. That was just a story about two people that decided to see if they could get along. Uh, mm-hmm. If they had the baby, but that yeah. scene is a ridiculous, a ridiculous scene, and unfortunately, that scene is what America is about to turn into. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, Judd, let's pivot to some listener mail. You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. The question comes from Beth via email. I'll read it. Hey, Kara, a couple of weeks ago on the show, Katie Tour mentioned worrying about working with her husband. My husband and I have been starting and running businesses for 16 years while raising four kids. We literally work side by side most days. I found that having a business was actually a solve for our relationship. Even if we were in a serious disagreement and emotional situation at home, we went to work, put our professional pants on, acted supremely respectful to each other, and got it done. Even if we were in a fight, I really cherished going to work and being able to look at him with love and respect. It's like a demilitarized militarized zone. Are we just lucky that we ended up together or more couples find joy working together if they got over their initial fears? Thanks, Beth. Oh, you've worked with your wife and stuff. How do you think about this? I'm all for it. I think it's fun to have common purpose. I I like when we have Mm -hmm. common purpose and we have a project that we're both trying to make work together. And that is part of it, which is if you're not getting along, you know, that morning when you get to work, you, you have to Put that put that aside, and it's even harder for us because we have to put that aside and try to be hilarious with each other. So you can't just <laughs> tolerate each other. You got to get to hilarity. Uh, but I lo- loved every time I've gotten to work with with Leslie, just because she's also so great at what she does, and she is a mm-hmm. real collaborator uh, on all of these projects. And even the ones that she's not a part of, she she's the one you know watching you know, with me, the cuts and and giving me great mm-hmm. advice because I think she's very in tune emotionally and asks a lot of great, tough questions. So I'm for it. 
work with your spouses. This is Leslie Mann, who's wonderful. Oddly enough, the other night, I ended up watching her in the other, there was a Cameron Diaz fest and, yes. and she was in the other woman. She's very funny. <laughs> the other woman is great. Yeah, it's really funny. I like her on Cameron Diaz's uh, shoulders, uh, you know, with <laughs> exactly. the legs and everything else. It was it was really quite good. Um, when you think about working together, you also work with your family. Your your daughters mm-hmm. have had time. They have their own careers, obviously. And uh, uh, Maud is on Euphoria, and your daughter Iris is on Love, and and many other things. And are there are they in your latest? This is fifty because you did this is forty. Well, I'm writing this is fifty right now. I'm, I'm right. living it and, and writing it, so I, I hope yeah. I'll get an opportunity to to do that pretty soon. And yeah, it's been really fun, you know, working with them. Uh, I like them, you know. In the beginning, it, mm-hmm. it, I, I just thought I just don't want to hang out with other people's kids. That you, right. you're, you're always looking to avoid that. And yeah, uh, yeah. and we started working together when they were <laughs> tiny, and then over the years, they were. We, we've done so many things together that they've just become you know incredible actresses, and then are doing amazing right. things on their own. But I think it's fine. I look at it like a cobbler, you know, it's a, you know, it's a family business and you, you wind up talking about movies Mm -hmm. and storytelling and art, and hopefully some of it seeps into their brains. Yeah. Yeah. Is there another family that works as much together as yours? I'm trying to think in Hollywood. I I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, people who, uh, you know, have kids uh, who, who work in the business, but I think it's a natural thing. Like, if I was a dentist, I would just talk about dentistry all day long, and probably my kids would want to pull teeth. Right. I think that, uh, that you know, what's happening in your house, you know, if you're a firefighter, you're talking about firefighting. Right, right. I think that's a TV show, um, Blue or whatever, <laughs> something. I, uh, my dentist is a his father is a dentist and his father is a dentist. There's that whole thing going on. In any case, they are, they got the better end of the deal on this one. Beth, thank you for that. I think working with your spouse can work out. That's an interesting thing that you sort of have to set it aside and really do the work. Although, unfortunately, what happens, and which is the plot of many sitcoms, is people don't set it aside when they're working together. <laughs> anyway, um, if you've got a question of your own, you'd like answers, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. All right, Judd, one more quick break and we'll be back. I'll let you out of here for wins and fails. Okay, Judd, we have this section where we call wins and fails. I would like your win and fail this week. Well, the win, I think, would be uh, Serena Williams announced that she is, I don't think she's announcing an official retirement, but just beginning to head towards uh, that Mm -hmm. direction. uh, And... She's just the greatest of all time. Won uh, mm-hmm. the Grand Slam 23 times, was number one 319 weeks during her career, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. is amazing. So that's a Jeez. win for a whole, a whole career. And choosing your family is also a win. Yeah. She's also an entrepreneur, really. I've met her because her husband has been in tech, Alex Ohanian, and she's done a lot of really interesting entrepreneurial stuff. So I think maybe she's interested in that. And is a great philanthropist as well. Indeed. Indeed. Like too many great things to to mention. And then for fail, a right-wing dating app. Oh, no. Which where all of uh, all conservative people can get together. Uh And then they're going to have a problem because they're going to need abortions at the end of that road. Oh. And then they're going to be in trouble. Oh, and also they'll probably have gay kids because you know what? 
the gays have the straights. The gays have straight kids, and they are the ones that make the gay kids. So good luck with that dating. Should app. I switch it to a win? It might be a win. Maybe I, <laughs> I mess up. It's not a fail. It's, it's, a, it's a win. Oh, they're going to learn goodness. from experience. They're they're going to find their yeah. heart through experience. It'll be like uh, like Dick Cheney learned. It, it, yeah. That's what's going to happen with this dating app. How did you think of that video he made? I'm really curious. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. Because he was pretty <laughs> loathsome for so long. It's always weird when Darth Vader comes in, even when he says something that is it's correct. You, you, you yeah. can't trust it, you know? Yeah, but that was the end of the movie. Darth Vader gets good at the end. Remember? Like he's exactly. there with Obi-Wan. That can happen. Hollywood it made it so. It's like Darth, Darth Vader, Vader just coming out, just being like, don't trust Trump. Uh, it, it, I mean, I don't know if there are many Republicans who's, who are still looking to him for their choices uh, at yeah, this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's good that he did it. Uh, I mean, uh, anytime yeah. he says the the right thing, uh, yeah. you know, we, we can be happy for that. But I don't know if he, if he has the same weight. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a, it's, it's getting back to bros. And I think it's sort of like when a Republican, a very virulent anti-gay Republican suddenly has a gay son and it's like, now I see. Uh, yeah. You're sort of like, you know, fuck you. Like the whole time, it's like, like when God. Paul Manafort says the right thing. You don't <laughs> yeah, care that right, much. Right. And isn't it interesting <laughs> right. that no one talks about that Paul Manafort admitted this week that he gave yeah. uh, voter information to the Russians. Oh, yeah. And uh, people don't even was, talk I, about it. Like, he finally admitted yeah. that he did it. And everyone yeah, said, oh, yeah, all yeah. of that investigation, it was all false. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, I just Can did it do- for my career, to, to help my career. Yeah. It wasn't Donald Trump who wanted me to do it. I just did it for a job later. I mean, so he has a lie in it, but he does admit that that he did it. That's true. That's true. Can I have that Darth Vader impression one more time of Dick Cheney? No. <laughs> I believe in love. I sound a little more like the water boy. <laughs> That's true. Okay, Judd, that was very funny. That's the show. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday with more Pivot. One thing before we go, as you may have heard, I enjoyed Scott Free August so much that I'm starting a whole new Scott Free show. We're looking for an experienced podcast producer to join the team. As you may know, I've done hundreds, thousands of interviews over the years, and I don't just wing them. Well, sometimes I do, actually. I also rely on a team of smart people to help me prep and make it all sound good. Enter the new job. We're looking for a producer with a newsroom background, uh, editing skills, someone who knows a bit about tech, business, media, and politics, and we want someone with at least five years' experience. So if that sounds like you, apply at the link in our show notes. It's an essential role. It'll be a lot of fun. Judd, you cannot apply. Uh, I, Although you'd be an excellent uh, production assistant. It would be really great. Who <laughs> knew this is how you find employees? At the end of the podcast, you know, <laughs> you I can do. just do that? Do. Like, hey, I need yeah. this person you, in my life? Need? What do you need? I'm, I'm going to come back. and At the end of one of your episodes, I'm just going to list <laughs> job requirements, and uh-huh, you'll help uh-huh. me. Yes, I will. It's going to be a great, great show. Actually, you know what I'm thinking of calling it? Uh, The Joe Rogan Experience with Kara Swisher. Anyway, Judd, I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much for taking the time and doing this. I know you're a busy man. I love that if I was 8% as good as Scott, I've achieved my goal. 
Oh, well over, well over. And everybody watch Bros. It opens on September 30th. Um, it, it really is very funny, but also it's very deep. It's much deeper than I expected. Anyway, I'll we'll read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ben Woods engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 